Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? You know, we don't read a lot about doctors in the Bible. You know, we know Luke was a physician, but we don't read anything really about him practicing medicine. I wish we had some of his physician insight, but we don't. One fairly significant time we see the mention of a doctor in the Bible is not a very flattering one. Um, it's the one with the the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Let's read it. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She'd heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. I love this story for so many reasons. One, because it reminds us that the Lord is our almighty physician and healer. And two, it reminds us that we need to act to activate our blessings. I think it's notable that this woman did not only sit in her home and pray for healing, she went out and got it. You know, she did what she could do. She did her part. Her faith had feet. It reminds me how in the book of James, he says, faith without action has no value. You know, this woman could have had all the faith in the world that Jesus would heal her, but it was her action, giving her faith feet and moving toward and reaching out to her healer that made her well. I think it's always a good lesson to us that we need to always be considering how we can move our feet towards Jesus and toward our health. What actions can we take to go out and get him and meet our, you know, get our blessing and, um, and achieve better health? Too often we sit and wait for it to fall in our lap, you know, without doing the moving towards it part. <laughs> it reminds me of that little story about the person stranded on his roof during a flood. You know, have you heard this? It's like he was stranded on his roof during a flood. He prayed for God to save him, but he refused a rowboat. When he came by, I was like, oh, God's going to save me. And then a motorboat came by and he's like, no, no, thank you. God's going to save me. And then a helicopter came by and dropped down a letter, a ladder, you know, to um, offer it to bring him up. And he's like, oh, no, God's going to save me. And he just kept praying for God to save him. Well, he drowned. <laughs> and when he got to heaven, he asked God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, a helicopter. What more do you want? And I feel like God is smacking his head every day. I mean, smack your head emoji. When we ask for healing and he's like, I've given you real food and water and sunshine and nature and told you to rest. And I've given you a body that can move. 
um, you're missing all the boats. <laughs> you know, Hippocrates said, everyone has a doctor in him or her. We just have to help it in its work. And that's what we need to remember, that God has given us amazing bodies that know how to heal. And he has given us all of the provision that we need to do that. You know, we've been so conditioned to run to the doctor, to rely on the medical system for every little thing. Um, You sneeze, you think you need a prescription. Shoot, today you sneeze, you think you need a test, right? And we have lost our sense of personal responsibility when it comes to our health. We have made the medical system the health god in our lives instead of looking to our God, the creator of our bodies, and utilizing what he has already provided us to keep us healthy. Hippocrates also said, the natural healing force within each one of us is the greatest force in getting well. Oh, I love that. Our body knows what to do when it gets what it needs. God made our bodies so incredibly smart. In the holistic community, we refer to this as our body's innate wisdom, meaning our body knows what to do and how to heal. The natural healing force within us is the innate wisdom God breathed into our bodies when he made us. There's a Hebrew word called ruach. That means breath, wind, spirit, and life force, kind of all rolled into one word. It's used almost 400 times in the Old Testament. Remember that God breathed the breath of life into man, right? We have the breath, the life force of God within us. The imprint of his wisdom is in every cell, tissue, organ, gland, and fluid in our body. This is the doctor within, our smart body. You know, we're all so awed by all of this smart technology that we have these days, but there is nothing Nothing that touches the intelligence of the way that God made us. In the Bible, Job said, If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and ruach, all humanity would perish together, and mankind would return to the dust. It is God's ruach, his breath, his life force, that powers our bodies and continues to give us life. And he gave us everything we need to be healthy. It is all laid out right there in Genesis. You know, I have coined the term the Genesis prescription because the key elements of health are all revealed right there in that chapter. We need sunshine, water, plant foods, animal foods, nature, rest, movement, community. Our part, our responsibility is to honor our body's needs for those inputs and to use them as our medicine. Illness and disease, especially the epidemic of modern chronic conditions like heart disease, obesity, diabetes, depression, and even cancer, are all rooted in a mismatch between our body and the needs of our body. Our bodies can't fully and totally heal without the presence of God's provision. The presence of God is in his provision. And there's no modern match For God's original prescription, you're not going to find health in a doctor's office. And this is one reason that I am so enamored (laughs) with Hippocrates. Y'all know, kind of got a little crush on him. You know, he was a doctor trying to get other doctors and people to see that we have so much agency over our own health and that their cures were very simple. 
right? Now, Hippocrates was a Greek physician who lived between 460 BC and 377 BC, you know, so obviously before Christ, um, and living in a culture actually that worshiped many gods, you know, little, little g gods. But what was significant about Hippocrates and kind of set him apart is that he didn't believe disease came from the whims of the gods. And this was different from what most people um, thought at the time. He believed disease arose from natural causes and recommended as little interference as possible with the body's own ability to heal. He focused on diet, rest, sunshine, um, overall cleanliness. Um, And from what I've read, it seems like he did believe in a, a big G, God, but didn't feel humans had the full capacity to understand God. He alluded to that fact, um, the fact that we're limited in our mental capacity to fully understand. And I think that's true. But I read that he said or believed something along the lines like, although we don't fully understand, all is not hopeless. It isn't that God wanted his ways in doing things in secret, for he has given us a way to what we can call understanding. And that way is through this. It is through love. Love is one thing that God and humans have in common. He said, God gives those who would find such research and study difficult faith. And he said that if we had faith in love, we may indeed understand God and the universe. Oh, I just love that. Faith and love. That's what it all comes down to. And as far as health and healing, his approach as a physician is very much aligned with the Genesis prescription. And so much of what Hippocrates advised is now being backed by science today. It absolutely blows me away because we're talking about, you know, like 2,500 years ago. And so for today, in the absence of having much human physician advice in the Bible, I think we can look to Hippocrates' approach to solidify the wisdom of the magnificent and resilient way that God made our bodies. So I've pulled some of my favorite um, quotes from my boyfriend here (laughs) um, as a framework and thought we could kind of chew on those today. So we've already covered two big ones which are everyone has a doctor in him or her. We just have to help it in its work. And the natural healing force within each one of us is the greatest force in getting well. And there are several other um, others around this topic of personal responsibility when it comes to our health. He said, if you are not your own doctor, you are a fool. <laughs> it's very blunt, but right on target. And here's a good one and goes along with what we've already been talking about. He said, if someone wishes for good health, one must first ask oneself if he is ready to do away with the reasons for his illness. Only then is it possible to help him. Oh, that is so good. One must first ask oneself if he is ready to do away with the reasons for his illness. You know, we can wish we had more energy or less weight or clearer skin or more strength or whatever it is. But wishing ain't going to get it done. You know, again, it takes action to back it up. And most of us know this. And most of us even know what to do. But we don't do it. But we think about it all the time. 
And maybe we give it some half-hearted attempts. But what we're not doing is really deciding that we're done with the things that are preventing us from reaching that health goal. And asking ourselves, like Hippocrates said, am I ready to do away with the reasons for this illness, you know, or this condition, this problem I'm having? Am I ready to do what it takes? Am I ready to give up the soda? Am I ready to, you know, do regular exercise? Am I ready to eat eggs for breakfast instead of cereal? Am I ready to stop drinking alcohol every day? You know, ask yourself that question and then brain dump all of the reasons you are ready And all the things you have to be ready to do in order to meet your goal. And ask yourself if you're committed to that. If you're not, maybe you're not ready. Maybe it's not worth trying right now. You know, it's really important to recognize this because if you're not all in and committed, if you're just kind of half arsing it, you know, it's going to keep you in the wish cycle and reinforcing to yourself, see, I can't do it because you're not truly ready. You know, you're not, you're not truly committed. This is where self-coaching comes in very handy. If you have done self-coaching Christians with me, which we do together every October in the Christian Health Club, this, my friends, is the time to do your thought downloads and your models, okay? This would be a great exercise to do because we know that our thoughts are what lead to action or inaction. So you've got to examine what's going on in that brain of yours and do some mind work around it. That's what this boils down to. Y'all, I'm so excited because I have a life coach um, coming into the Christian Health Club in a few weeks, and she's going to do a live coaching session with us in the club um, because I want the members to have the experience like I had when I went through self-coaching scholars and just to kind of see what a a life coach session is like. So I'm excited for that. And we're going to be working on this very thing, you know, kind of figuring the disconnect between our wishes for good health and our actions of actually doing it. But you can self-coach on this and ask, ask yourself, you know, am I really ready to do away with the reasons for this illness or this health problem I'm having? Okay, the next question is another deep thinker one. Hippocrates said, it's far more important to know what person what person the disease has than what disease the person has. Okay, y'all, I had to read that like 25 times <laughs> and meta- meditate on it. Let me say it again. It's far more important to know what person the disease has than what disease the person has. You know, you know, we go to the doctor, okay, you go to your doctor, you're a, you're a condition. You are your condition. That's the lens that you're kind of seen through. You are a chart full of maladies. And we often look through that same lens, our, ourself and define ourselves, and let our lives be defined by, you know, illness or condition or, you know, weight, or whatever it is that we have. But you are not your diabetes, your cancer, your autoimmune you know, condition, your autism, your genetic condition, your weight, your infertility diagnosis. That's not you. You are a person with family, friends, community, work, hopefully work that you love, um, hobbies. And first and foremost, you are a child of God. The sum of that is who you are. But so often we let the disease have the person Instead of being a person with this entire amazing life who may be going through a season of health challenges, even maybe, you know, some, something longer term, 
So many people let that define their life and take up all of their brain space and make that be who they are. They're looking at their life through the lens of what is wrong with them. You know those people I'm talking about, right? Everything is about their condition or their disease that they presently have or that they used to have. It's just not a healthy way to see yourself or for others to see and define you. That's when disease has the person in its grip. You know, it's like the person won't let them go, Um, won't let it let them go. You know, rather than the person who has control of the grip and can release that hold and not let it define them. Does that make sense? You know, I told you I had to read this a lot and just really ponder this particular quote. Um, but it was making me think the biggest thing I appreciate about what I get to do is that I work with people who identify whose identity is first and foremost in Christ. Right. No matter what health issues someone might reach out to me for or seek my services for or join Feast to Fast or the Christian Health Club, they're coming to me with the identity as a daughter of Christ. And that's how they define themselves before anything else. You know, I can't tell you how many people say, I found you because I searched Christian nutritionist. That being a Christian was, you know, how their baseline, their identifier And it's very unique and especially, you know, in the Christian Health Club and our Feast of Fast groups, it's what makes our group so special. You know, sometimes people might share their health challenge in the group, sometimes they don't. But what we all know is that our common anchor is the Lord and we are all there to better better our health and glory to Him and to the plans He has for our lives. It's our focus and it's such a healthy focus. It's a beautiful lens to look through. It's a beautiful identity to claim, and I'm just so appreciative of it so much I could just cry for it. Okay, next quote. We're going to get into a little bit more of the, the nitty-gritty about health advice. Okay, so Hippocrates famously said, Our food should be our medicine. Our medicine should be our food. Now, Hippocrates didn't need science to know that our food makes our bodies. Literally every cell in your body is made from and runs on the food that you eat. It is the most simple but overlooked fact of our physiology. Food builds our bodies. And people forget that our bodies are constantly regenerating. You know, it's not like we're born with all of our cells and then we don't ever have any more. You know, like it's one and done. We constantly lose cells and we make new ones. Cells die, which is good. We want our get our old cells out of there to make way for new, healthier ones. But what do you think those new cells are made of? Food and water. We turn over new skin cells like every few weeks and regenerate taste buds in about 10 days. We can make a new liver in a matter of months. We produce new gut cells daily. Every tissue, organ, and gland in your body is made from cells. And those cells are made from what you eat. So you can look at your diet and you'll know what your cells are made of. You know, if your cells or your kids' cells are made of Mountain Dew, donuts, and Doritos, I mean, that's going to be a health problem. Your body can't extract the nutrients it needs from that. Where are the vitamins and minerals? Where are the essential amino acids? Where are the essential fatty acids? They're called essential for a reason. 
And you can only get those things from food. Without them, your body will break down. Hippocrates also said, just as food causes chronic disease, it can be the most powerful cure. So you get to decide whether your food is your poison or your medicine. The wonderful thing is that you can turn your health around quickly when you use food as medicine. When you start giving your body what it needs from real food the way God made it, your body starts cranking out healthy cells. And because our, you know, God made our bodies to constantly regenerate, every day is a new opportunity to renew our bodies. His mercies are new every day. When we choose real food, we supply the finest building materials for our body to use. Okay, one more really good quote from Hippocrates here says, Each of the substances of a man's diet acts upon his body and changes it in some way. And upon these changes, his whole life depends. Your life and how you experience it in your body depends on the food that you eat. Oh, my friends, that's why I'm here. It's what I do what I do, you know, to remind you of this, to remind you that God has provided, to remind you that you have so much power in your hands when it comes to your health. And that when you feel well, you serve well. When you're healthier, you show up more, you know, more boldly into everything God has created you to be. That is why we're here, my friend. Okay, the next quote from Hippocrates uh, might be the one that blows me away the most. He said, all disease starts in the gut. Okay, my friend, I just want to remind you, we're talking about 2,500 years ago here. And now this is something science is proving to be true. When you think about it, our gut is what takes the food we eat and makes it available to the body to use right? It's like the whole processing system. So you can be eating a a beautiful real foods diet, but if your body can't break it down, absorb it, transport the nutrients, you know, from that food, then it's not doing you much good. In one way, yes, you are what you eat, but more accurately, you are what you absorb. And what you absorb depends on gut function, specifically the small intestine. Um, But when people start eating, you know, more healthy foods and don't see results, or maybe they do it first, but then it stalls and they can't progress, then we need to consider gut function. Quite often, because we've been treating our bodies so poorly for so long, you know, with our Mountain Dew donut Dorito cells, (laughs) um, our engine gets a little run down and we need some engine help, you know? I think of the gut like the engine of the body, and sometimes it needs a little tune-up after all the poisons we've put in it for so long. And just because you don't have any obvious digestive symptoms doesn't mean you don't have a gut problem. Okay, the lining of your small intestine could be compromised and letting food particles or antigens into your bloodstream that shouldn't be getting through. You're not going to feel that. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, there goes a big molecule of corn leaking into my bloodstream. (laughs) You're not going to feel that as stomach pain, but you could feel it as joint pain, focus issues, skin breakouts, autoimmune conditions, mood disorders, weight gain. I mean, I hate to use the normally positive phrase, the possibilities are endless, but the health consequences, maybe that's a better way to put it, are endless. 
Remember also that most of your serotonin, which is our feel-good chemical, is made in the gut. So if you are anxious and depressed and you're on an SSRI, we need to be looking at gut function. If you have IBSD, which is irritable bowel syndrome with predominant diarrhea, um, you're not absorbing your nutrients. You're flushing them out. And if you have IBSC, constipation, you can't get toxins out of the body. And so they recirculate, making you more toxic. All of these symptoms, all this stuff going on, are, you know, that's just the body telling you something's wrong. And this is the root of disease. I don't think Hippocrates, you know, knew about gut bacteria and all the things we're learning about today. But he had the instinctive knowledge that the gut is what takes food and transforms it into what makes your body and what makes your body work. How has modern medicine lost touch with this very fundamental concept of our health? I mean, y'all, I still hear stories of doctors who say food has nothing to do with it. Your diet has nothing to do with it beyond maybe weight, right? Um, it is still rare to go to a doctor that prioritizes gut health, you know, as like the influential centrical, centrif centrifugal, what? <laughs> why can't I say that word? You know what I mean? Like that center force of your health. Because the medical system is so compartmentalized by specialty, you know, um, we have lost the wisdom of how the body works as a whole with gut health being at the center of it. This is a good segue into the next several quotes from Hippocrates. He said, foolish, the doctor who despises the knowledge acquired by the ancients. He also said, leave your drugs in the chemist's pot if you can heal the patient with food. And finally, he said, the greatest medicine of all is teaching people how not to need it. Mm. Sadly, this is so opposite of what happens today, right? Everything is so driven by prescriptions. Everything is band-aided with pills, which create side symptoms that require more pills, more prescriptions. This is not health care. This is sick care. It is managing sickness instead of nurturing wellness. And so many people don't realize it's their prescription creating more health problems. Like statins, for example, deplete the body of an enzyme called CoQ10 that is critical to heart health. You know, oh, the irony. Let me give you this for your heart health, but it's going to make your heart worse. Now, I think that doctors are prescribing CoQ10 alongside statins more often now. I mean, thank God. But, you know, statins lower cholesterol that you need to make hormones and fuel the brain. You can't make hormones without fat and cholesterol. So all you guys out there on a statin or your husband's on a statin or having some erectile uh, dysfunction and he's on a statin, uh, that is a very real side effect. Our brain is the highest user of cholesterol in the body, like on purpose, like it needs it. And here we're giving middle-aged people something that lowers cholesterol and everyone wonders why we have such a higher incidence of dementia and Alzheimer's. This is one of the most widely prescribed prescriptions in the world, trying to get everyone to reach an acceptable level of cholesterol. The question is, acceptable to whom? Because that number has been a moving target, highly influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. It suits their needs just fine, but not yours.
And that's just an example of one drug, okay? And I just mentioned a few side effects. When you see the commercials, you know, for medications on TV and and then they start speeding through all the side effects, boop, 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 boop. you could get this, 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 and this. You better listen and pay attention if you're on that pharmaceutical because those things are real and can be the reason that you need more prescriptions. Also, uh, I think another big failure of our medical system is that we let insurance coverage dictate what we do or don't do with our health. This has come up a lot lately. Um, One, because this month in the Christian Health Club, our focus is hormones. And there's a really great test called the Dutch test um, that I like and I recommend for people to get for hormone testing. And you heard uh, Dr. Cook and I talk about it. Um, It gives a lot of good, helpful information, especially regarding estrogen metabolism, cortisol production. But it's not covered by insurance. And it can range anywhere from, you know, three to four hundred dollars. But, you know, some people won't do it because it's not covered by insurance. Um, Another example is, you know, I like to get breast thermography every year, which uses like infrared heat detection to look for inflammation and can detect suspicious activity years before a mammogram can. You know, if there's a tumor forming, um, there's going to be increased blood flow to that area before it becomes a full-blown tumor. And thermography can pick that, you know, that increased heat of blood flow. It's not a diagnostic tool, but it sure can give you uh, an earlier heads up if something's brewing, right? In fact, I just got my results back and it picked up a little increased heat in my right breast um, than what's normal for me because I've been going several years of, you know, um, past history with that. And so we can look and compare and see when there is a difference. So I just got those results back and I am using some essential oils and being more diligent about using my juve light, my red infrared light. And I'll test again, probably in the next six months. I I normally go once a year, but I will probably do an extra one this year to just check on the progress. So I've seen and heard people um, improve their thermography score um, through both of those avenues, through oils and light therapy which just kind of sounds unbelievable, but it's true. And that's the beautiful thing about this is that you can do something about it. You can use diet, lifestyle, supplement changes to change the course of your health before it gets worse. The thermography costs um, about $250 to $300, just kind of depends where you go. It's not covered by insurance, but it's so valuable. You know, I'm, I'm just... I guess, thankfully, removed from letting insurance dictate my health care, partially because my husband and I have never had good insurance. You know, I probably would redefine what good insurance means now. But anyway, um, because we work for ourselves and don't have a company provider, we've always had a bare minimum coverage of insurance, or I guess what you might call like emergency coverage if there was, you know, some kind of big um, tragedy or something. Um But basically everything we do is out of pocket and always has been. All three of my pregnancies and deliveries, straight out of pocket. So I'm used to ponying up my own money for my healthcare needs. If you're blessed with great insurance, that's wonderful. But just don't let it be a barrier to what you need for your healthcare, your proactive healthcare. Okay, speaking of proactive healthcare, one of the healing therapies that Hippocrates regularly prescribed to his patients was fasting. 
He recommended it for all fevers and diseases in the acute crisis stage, but also for colds and flu, arthritis, rheumatism, digestive issues, and all metabolic disorders. He said, but to eat when you are sick is to feed your sickness. Now, this made me think of that old saying, uh, starve, wait, feed a cold, starve a fever. I had to look it up to make sure I got it right because sometimes I get it backwards. But feed a cold, starve a fever. But listen, when I had COVID over the holidays, there I was not starving my fever. <laughs> I had a totally regular appetite. And so I ate. I wasn't purposefully fasting. Um, my husband, on the other hand, didn't eat for like three days. He was like, I cannot eat. So I think you go with what feels right to you. You know, a lot of people are not hungry when they're sick. And one reason is that's part of that innate wisdom of the body, knowing that digestion is an incredibly demanding process. And it's trying to reserve that energy for fighting off the virus or bacteria or whatever you've got. That's your body's natural instinct. So don't worry if you don't eat for three days. That's why God put energy reserves on your body in the form of fat. When you don't eat, your body eats your fat. That's about the most simple way to put it. It's why fasting is incredible for rehabilitating metabolic function. But it's also good for so many things. You know, it was a regular practice in biblical times. It was a regular practice in the Greek culture. They used it for detoxification, for mental clarity. You know, what's very interesting is that the original study that ended up being the major reason that the Mediterranean diet is so widely com uh, recommended, it did not take into account that the subjects in that study were also fasting. So in this famous study that was done in the 1960s, they were testing people in various countries, and one of those was the people of Crete in Greece, and found that their diet produced very healthy blood markers, especially their lipid profile. But what the study did not take into account um, was that 60% of the study participants were fasting during the 40 days of Lent and were regular fasters according to the customs of the Greek Orthodox Church. The Greek Orthodox Church prescribes almost 180 days of fasting in one form or another over the year. That doesn't mean they don't eat for 180 days of the year. Um, they have different fasting guidelines. You know, sometimes you give up meat, sometimes you give up this. It just, you know, it kind of, some oil, it just changes. If you haven't um, listened to the, one of the very first episodes I did, it might be episode three, I'm not sure, but it's one of the very first episodes I did with Cynthia Damascos about this fasting tradition. You should go listen to it. It is really fascinating. But anyway, not to say that the Mediterranean diet isn't a good one. It's great. It got a lot of great things about it. But I mean, hello they didn't take into account a pretty significant piece of the puzzle. This is what's often wrong with food studies is that there are so many confounding variables. This particular study we're talking about was conducted by our old friend Ansel Keys. Remember that guy? <laughs> pretty much responsible for uh, low-fat diets and eating processed seed oils. But he cherry-picked the data from these studies he did. You know, he chose what fit into the narrative of what he was trying to prove. That's also a problem when it comes to health studies. I think we're seeing a lot of cherry-picked information uh, today when it comes to COVID. It's very—it's all very discouraging. You're like, well, who, you know, who, what can I believe? Who can I trust here? And, you know, you can look at two studies on the same talk, topic and they can have totally opposing views. You know, like, meat is great for you. Meat is horrible for you. You know, eat all the plants. 
plants have um, anti-nutrients that are going to, you know, make you lose minerals. I mean, it's, it is why, this is really why, you know, I just have to come back to my godly compass when it comes to health and how to eat and, you know, use the Genesis prescription and looking at the ancient wisdom of these people who lived in times before, you know, the pharmaceutical industry took over the medical system and, and all of these, you know, paid for studies were being done. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little more ranty today than I thought I would. Um, okay, the next major component of Hippocrates' health advice is exercise. He had a lot to say about it. So I'm going to share several quote, quotes in a row here. He said, even when all is known, the care of a man is not yet complete because eating alone will not keep a man well. He must also exercise. For food and exercise, while possessing opposite qualities, work together to produce health. Okay, another one he said, all parts of the body which have a function, if used in moderation and exercised in labors in which each is accustomed, become thereby healthy, well-developed, and age more slowly. But if unused, they become liable to disease defective in growth and age quickly. Okay, another one. If we could give every individual the right amount of nourishment and exercise, not too little and not too much, we would have found the safest way to health. And finally, if there is any deficiency in food or exercise, the body will fall sick. We have got to move our bodies, y'all. The more idle we are, the more unhealthy we are. Our ancestors were not sitting at a desk eight hours a day. They weren't sitting on the couch four hours a day. But you know what? They also, you know, weren't going to CrossFit or spin class. Well, maybe the professional Greek athletes kind of were. <laughs> but the everyday person wasn't like carving out an hour for their dedicated exercise time. I did a podcast last summer. It was episode 124 called Functional Exercise in the Bible. One of my favorites that I've put together because it's just really good for perspective on how we approach exercise versus how it was historically approached. I mean, there was no approach. It was called living life. Like Matthew McConaughey says, he's like, living, L-I-V-I-N. You know, exercise was done through the physical activity built into their everyday lives and not something they did separately like we do. They didn't need to go work out because their lives were a workout. You know, they would have done some heavy lifting, but mostly they walked a lot and did daily chores. Hippocrates said, walking is a man's best medicine, which of course, you know, I am like cheering over here because walking is the most underrated exercise there is. I feel like walking is the best thing that I do for myself every day. I've told you how I used to have like walking shame because all my friends were runners. You know, they'd be doing 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. And I feel about running pretty much like I do about math. Not my thing, not my gift. Um, and ironically, I always like to bring this up when we're talking about marathons because the first marathon originated in Greece. And what happened was there was a messenger of war named Pheidippides who had to run long distances between cities to give vital information, you know, during this, this warfare. 
And his last run was 26 miles to Athens, which he did. And then he dropped dead from exhaustion. So I don't really know why we glorify marathons, but there you go. Now, in fairness, he had been running on lots of these missions and fighting in full body armor. So it was likely due to the cumulative exhaustion, but still. Um, regardless, you won't find me training for any long distance running. Now, I do like sprints, as I've told you, because they're, you know, it's quick and they're a fast way to burn fat. Love that. But walking is my jam. And part of the reason it's so good for you is that it doesn't induce stress and raise cortisol levels like running does. Little bits of raised cortisol from exercise is okay. We call that hormesis. But extended cardio exercise can keep your cortisol elevated. And we have to weigh the cost and benefit of that kind of exercise. For someone who's already dealing with a lot of stress and has dysregulated cortisol, you know, and adrenal glands that are burned out, training for a marathon is probably not the best choice. But you could walk for an hour at a good clip, you know, which challenges your cardiovascular system but doesn't induce high levels of cortisol. You know, it's kind of an interesting take. I think I've shared this with you before, but... I've heard about running and cortisol is that running in and of itself is a fight or flight movement. You know, in most cases, historically, if you were running, you were being chased by something or you were chasing something. You know, maybe you were being chased by an animal or maybe you were chasing an animal for food. Maybe an enemy was chasing you. Maybe you were chasing an enemy. It's a survival mode movement. And again, going back to the innate wisdom of the body, there's instinctive knowledge um, stored in our cells about this kind of stuff. And running is a signal to the body that there's danger. So even if you're, you know, kind of quote unquote, choosing your danger because you're purposefully training for long distance running, we're still giving that message to our body, you know, that there's some danger. And again, for someone who is already stressed, this adds insult to injury. Now, I know a lot of people um, who love running because they feel like it burns off anxious energy and they get endorphins, and that's great. If you love running and it's working for you, do it. But as a reformed shame walker here, (laughs) I also want you to understand that walking is proven to be the best overall exercise, and there is no shame in the walk game. Um, In that podcast I was talking about earlier, the fundamental exercise podcast I did, I shared the impressive stats that... Mary, Jesus's mother, was estimated to have walked 12,187 miles by the time she was 50 years old, and that Jesus walked over 21,000 miles during his life. You know, that trek alone between um, Nazareth and Jerusalem was like 60 to 90 miles, depending on how you went. And Jesus walked that many times. They walked everywhere. And, you know, they got a little strength training just by doing everyday work and chores. You know, like the women would carry those big heavy jugs of water. It was like built-in weight training. Today, we have to artificially and intentionally create opportunity to use our muscles. But, you know, back then, it was just a part of everyday life. And I just think that this is a very fascinating perspective to consider and think about. But walking is great for the cardiovascular system. It lowers blood pressure, cholesterol, reduces the risk of heart disease. And when I say lower cholesterol, um, I mean better help your body manage its cholesterol production and utilization. Again, I mean our bodies have to produce cholesterol. If you don't produce enough, you will die. We're not trying to zero sum out our cholesterol here. But our body does produce more cholesterol when there's inflammation, Because cholesterol shows up 
to help put out our fires. You know, it's not the cholesterol's fault that it's showing up. It's the inflammation's fault. So you've got to figure out the source of inflammation. Um, To take a statin to lower cholesterol is like blocking the fireman showing up to put the fire out of your house, right? Um, But the good news about walking is it reduces inflammation. And if you walk outside and get some sunshine on your skin and in your eyes, both very good for you. But when you have it on your skin, you'll activate um, your cholesterol to make vitamin D. One uh, theory I've read is that higher levels of cholesterol could be in part due to the fact that we don't get enough sunshine to utilize the cholesterol in our skin to make vitamin D. So there's kind of too much hanging around. That's kind of interesting. Um, Walking also releases endorphins, you know, those feel good chemicals. Runners aren't the only, you know, people that can get a high, (laughs) you can get a walker's high too. And walking is so good for bone density. Studies show that postmenopausal women who walk approximately one mile each day have higher whole body bone density than women who walk shorter distances. Uh, Walking also slows the rate of bone loss from the legs and helps maintain overall skeletal integrity. This is good stuff, y'all. I mean, you can get, you know, accomplish so much health through walking. Get those 10,000 steps a day. You know, and Hippocrates didn't have to know about all of these scientifically backed studies to know that walking is good for you because it's the body's most natural movement. So get out there and walk, my friend. Listen to a podcast. Maybe this one. Take me with you. I would love it. Or call your mom or your best friend. You know, um, I listen to podcasts and I talk to my best friend almost every day when I'm walking. It's a great time to catch up. Okay, the next few health recommendations from Hippocrates are around self-care and some of my favorite and maybe why I have a crush on him. (laughs) Okay, he said, the way to health is to have an aromatic bath and a scented massage every day. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. I'll take that. He also said, wine is an appropriate article for mankind, both for the healthy body and for the ailing of man. And I I said appropriate. It kind of ran together there. Wine is inappropriate. I didn't want you to think I said inappropriate. He said appropriate, okay? (laughs) And I say cheers to that. He also said, rest as soon as there is pain. I like that. And I think whether that means physical pain um, or emotional pain, we need to rest from that. And finally, he said, to do nothing is sometimes a good remedy. This, my friends, is why Hippocrates is my ancient boyfriend. (laughs) Bath, massages, wine, rest, and doing nothing. I mean, come on. Perfect boyfriend. I'm all about it. Perhaps, though, my very favorite quote from Hippocrates is the one that says, Health is the greatest of human blessings. And it truly is. I read something that said, When you're healthy, you have 1,000 wishes. But when you don't have your health, you have one. The state of your health is going to affect everything about the way that you show up or don't show up in this life. Health is wealth. Just ask any person fighting for theirs right now. But I I hope today's episode has fired you up to remember that you have so much power in your hands when it comes to your health. And there's so much we can do proactively. The time to work on health is now is in your everyday choices to take a walk, to choose a meal that nourishes you, to soak up some sunshine, to get a good night's sleep, to have a warm bath and a glass of wine. (laughs) You know, be your own health advocate. 
And listen, come do it with us in Feast of Fast because we're about to start the next round in a few weeks. Um, it starts on Ash Wednesday. We're doing it for Lent. So this round is six weeks instead of four. It's a little bit more intense as it should be for the Lenten season. We're going to go from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter, putting God first as we receive his provision and honor the way that our bodies are made. So registration just opened. Um, so get over there and sign up at feastofast.co and do it with us. We will be praising our mighty healer and physician throughout the season of Lent. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with this wonderful ancient wisdom and advice from Hippocrates, who is known as the father of medicine. But we know who the true father is of our health and all of our blessings we have in this life. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.